Our scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 7, and uh, we will begin reading it with verse 18, Luke 7, 18. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist asked us, sent us to ask you, are you the one to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases and sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And I tell you, among those born of women, there is none greater than John. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Join me as we pray. Our Lord, we are here to worship. We are here to learn. We are here to be changed. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure today that many of us are aware that the Bible contains many stories of men and women who were outstanding examples of faith. And if you were with us just recently, you remember that we did a series on Hebrews chapter 11 uh, that has been called Faith Hall of Fame. And we studied the lives of some amazing people like Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. And we found that their lives are indeed inspiring stories marked by amazing examples of faith. But you know, since then, I've done a little bit of reading about these individuals, and I've made a fascinating discovery that many of these great men and women of faith were also plagued with serious doubts. And I'm talking about people like Abraham and David and Job and Habakkuk. While the prophet Habakkuk voiced his doubts about God's justice numerous times in his prophecy, 
Because God was blessing the enemies of Israel while Israel itself was under God's discipline. And then there was, of course, the great Job. Job, who is known to us as a great man of faith, one who had tremendous patience during his suffering. But how many of us are aware that over and over, Job was plunged into the, the depths of despair as he tried to figure out what God was doing and, more important, why God wouldn't speak to him and tell him. And there is the notorious apostle, the doubting Thomas, as he has come to be known. That when Jesus appeared to the other disciples after his resurrection, when they explained this to Thomas, Thomas said, I will not believe and I cannot until I see him myself. And amazingly, when Jesus saw Thomas, he approached Thomas. He moved toward Thomas in an act of mercy and compassion. And now here in Luke chapter 7, we have John the Baptist, who we're going to study today. Now, at the conclusion of today's message, if you'll bear with me, uh, I'm going to present you with what might be a little bit of a surprise. We're going to uh, make an addition to Doubt's Hall of Fame that might surprise you. That's coming at the end. It was a surprise to me. But the basic truth that I want us to see today is this. That doubt is not antithetical to faith. Because you see, it's easy for us to see them as sort of polar opposites. And if we really had faith, that we would never question God or doubt Him. Well, if you have ever had serious questions about your faith and you wondered if God was really there, if he really did care about you, and I can assure you, you have had those times, you might feel guilty uh, thinking that maybe somehow you had let God down. But what I want us to see this morning is that God actually uses our doubts to work in us a deeper faith and a closer, more intimate walk with Jesus Christ. I hope I'm not promising too much, but here we go. This man that we are looking at this morning is, as I said, John the Baptist. And if we're really going to appreciate the story that we read a few moments ago, we need to do a little biographical sketch about of John, and I want us to see what an extraordinary man that he was. Who was this John the Baptist? Well, first of all, we know that he was a man of extraordinary boldness and courage. Everywhere John went and preached, he preached repentance, and he preached on the law of God, and he preached that people should repent and come to turn away from their sins. He was bold. And when King, even when King Herod unlawfully divorced his wife and married his brother Philip's wife, John went straight to the palace and confronted King Herod about his sin. 
an act that would eventually cost him his life. And then you have this amazing statement by Jesus in verse 28. I tell you among those born of women that there is none greater than John the Baptist. Can you imagine what kind of a man that he could have been for the Lord Jesus to say something like that about him? That there's no one greater? And then we know also that it was John that Jesus chose to baptize him. Now, I know I speak for all of our pastors here when I say it is quite an honor when we are asked to baptize an infant or an adult to be a part of the family and the entrance of this person into the life of the church. It's really an honor. But think about being asked to baptize Jesus Christ. And John was so taken back by this request that he said to Jesus, Lord, I'm not worthy. And he tried to get out of it, but Jesus insisted. And then he was, John was the forerunner to Christ. In Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, it was predicted by Malachi that the prophet Elijah would appear before the Messiah and would be the one that would prepare the way of the Lord's coming. That he would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And as a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 17, the disciples bring this up to Jesus. And they said, where is Elijah? We know that he's to come to pave the way for the Messiah. And Jesus, in That setting said that this prophecy was fulfilled in Elijah because John the Baptist had come. It was John who fulfilled that role that was predicted by Malachi in chapter 4. And then it was John who had the honor of giving the formal announcement to the Jews That this unknown man who had shown up from Galilee was indeed the Messiah. For that day when Jesus approached John at the Jordan River near Bethany, John saw Jesus and he couldn't contain his emotions. And in verse 29 of chapter 1, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, I bring all of this to your attention because given the character of this man, the events in this story should really grab our attention. Here is a towering figure who now sits in Herod's filthy prison, possibly awaiting execution. And as he languishes in that dark cell, Satan begins to sow seeds of doubt in his mind and in his heart. This great John the Baptist becomes a tormented man questioning the very claims of Christ 
that were so foundational to his life and ministry. Now, he wasn't tormented because of his plight in prison. He wasn't tormented because he faced the possibility of death. John understood that when you walk into the room of a king and you rebuke him for his sin, you are going to pay a price. And ever since that day at the Jordan, where John announced the coming of Christ, he had never doubted, never doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. But now, stuck alone in this putrid cell, he was assaulted by horrible doubts. Is this Jesus really the one who is to come? Is it possible that we have been wrong about him all this time? John understood that there were many false prophets, many false Christs that were going about at that time. What if Jesus was another one? What if we've been wrong about him? Is it possible that he has led me and hundreds and thousands of others astray? And I'm sure it felt like to John that God had left him and that the devil himself had taken his place. So John retried, tried to recall all of those prophecies that he had read in the Old Testament. The miracles that he had seen that were so clear to him before. But now it was difficult to think straight. And doubts began to buzz around his mind like flies around his face. The thoughts of being executed for the sake of righteousness and justice, John could bear. But he could not bear the thoughts that he might be wrong about Jesus. His one task was to prepare the way of the Lord. And if he had gotten that wrong, his whole ministry and life would be in vain. But even in the midst of the darkness of this doubt, John held to an, unshake, an unshakable trust in Christ. He believed that Jesus would tell him the truth. He just needed to go one more time and hear it from him again. Are you really the one? And so he sent those messengers to ask Jesus, Are you the one to come or shall I be looking for someone else? And when Jesus was asked this question, I am sure that he was filled with compassion. For Jesus loved John and he was familiar with John's sorrows and grief. He knew of the satanic storms that John was going through, just like he's familiar with yours when you are weak and alone. So, Jesus invites John's faithful friends to come and sit near him and watch as he healed many and delivered them from their demonic prisons. 
And then he turned to them with kind and moist eyes. Go back. Go back and tell my friend John that I love. Go back and tell this tormented prophet what you have seen and heard. The work continues to go on. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The deaf hear. Those who have leprosy are cleansed and the dead are raised and the the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Go back and tell John he's not wrong. He's not wrong. I am who I told him that I am. You see, John would need to hear this one more time to restore him his peace and to prepare him for his own difficult days ahead. And I want you to notice something here. When Jesus had sent the disciples of John away, he then said something that was stunning. It was after John had expressed his doubts that Jesus made this stunning statement that no one born of woman was greater than John. And I read that. And I think about you and me. And I think about this age, even when the strongest saints experience the deep darkness, none of us are spared the sorrow. None of us can escape the satanic oppression. We all experience agonizing affliction at some point. You see, we don't normally fall prey to doubt during the good times. When things are going well, it's easy to believe that God is good. It's easy to believe that He is there and that He cares. It's during those times of darkness that we're most susceptible to the haunting questions. Does he really care? Does he really understand? Is he really there? And if he is, what in the world is he doing in my life? Many of you will remember the hostage crisis in Iran in the 1970s. If you don't remember it, I'm sure that you have heard about it. One of the hostages was a man by the name of Terry Waite who had spent 1,763 days, most of those in solitary confinement. And Pastor Claire gave me an article that talked about an interview that was made in 2017 where he talked about this experience. And I want to read just a couple of statements that he made. When you're in solitary confinement for a long time, you naturally become concerned that you might lose your mind. You see your skin go white because of lack of daylight. I lost all muscle tone because I was chained to a wall 23 hours and 50 minutes out of every day. I had no books. I had no one to talk to. You wonder if you will deteriorate deteriorate mentally and spiritually. 
So you have to look for a way to keep the mind and the spirit alive. I went through something very similar just a few months ago during COVID. I had become so sick that I couldn't raise my hand above my head. It was a profound weakness that impacted me spiritually as well. And I asked some of the questions that I've been preaching on for years and found God to be merciful. Well, maybe you are the young man who had planned for a career all of your life, just the career that you wanted. And while you were away at school, a situation at home came up that caused you to have to leave school and get a job to support the family. And as a result, your career never got back on track. And you've struggled ever since. Or maybe, maybe you, you're the couple who grew up together and been, had been friends since grammar school. And as you grew older, that innocent friendship grew into something deeper and more intimate until one day you both realized that you were in love. You got married, and you planned to live happily ever after. But two months later, a routine checkup reveals stage four breast cancer. Now, I don't know what your story is, but I know this. If it can happen to John the Baptist, it can happen to any one of us. Doubt can and will come during your darkness. So, rather than give in, What do you think we ought to do? Well, before I talk about that, I want to add one more person to the Doubters Hall of Fame. This is the surprise that I talked about a few minutes ago. And the person whose name I want to submit is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself who, while hanging on the cross for your sins and mine, he became sin for us. And at that moment, darkness came over the whole earth. And Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, then realized that the Father had turned his back on him. And he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, at the moment of his greatest struggle and his deepest darkness, Jesus felt the awful pang of doubt. Well, how do we handle doubt? Well, I have found that for many people, the natural response is to try to get more religious, to try harder, to do more, to be more committed, 
to show God that we really mean business this time in hopes that he will once again look upon us with favor and drive away the storms. No, a thousand times it isn't going to work. But we have two principles in our text today that give us a little bit of light to show how we can respond during these times. And that's how I want to close the message today. Number one, be honest about your doubts. Talk to God about your doubts. Here we see that John sent his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus to give him the truth. And I'm sure that John hesitated before he did so. I'm sure John was a tad embarrassed to display this kind of weakness in front of Jesus. But he did. John confronted his doubts. And it's true, isn't it? Sometimes we would just rather wear our Sunday morning smiles and not face the fact that we're struggling. For many of us to feel doubts and to admit that they are there is to admit weakness. But nothing could be further from the truth. Honesty. Go to God. Secondly, listen to what God says to you. You see, in John's darkness, Jesus sends a promise to sustain John's faith. He tells the messengers, go back and tell John what you see. That he doesn't have to worry. Everything he believes about me is true. Listen, Jesus will meet you in the midst of your doubt. He doesn't always answer with the speed or with the exact answer that we may expect, but he will always send the help that is needed. His grace will always be sufficient. His promises will never fail. Isaiah says that the coming Messiah, our Savior, does not break a bruised reed. Do you feel like a bruised reed today? Well, in your time of darkness, you may have questions and doubts about things that you have believed all of your life. It may surprise you and shock you. how deep those doubts can go and how powerful they can be. But you can be assured that he hears your pleas for help and is patient with your doubts. And listen to this. He is not disappointed in you. He is not mad at you. And in ways that we may not understand, he is as close to us 
at those times as he is now as we are gathered together in his presence for worship. He calls us to hear these words. O love that will not let me go. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And those are his words for your darkness and your doubts. Let us bow. Our Father, when our lives take unexpected turns, We thank you for your word that reminds us that you are a God of the storm and a God of the darkness as much as a God of the light. So we thank you for that love that will never let us go. And we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.